Welcome to UberCube, the podcast where we discuss all things Cube, but with refreshments. This is your host, Anthony Adams, a.k.a. UberBear, and I am joined by my other host, Stu. Thanks for joining us. All right, so, so we're going to do an interesting topic for you guys this evening, and it's going to be about... We're going to call it Super Friends or Planeswalkers within your cube environment. So, like, Super Friends is pretty... It's very, know, justice, very Justice League. Yeah, it's or, well known. Right, right, right. And But what we're leaning into is kind of... I just... I had to educate myself on the way here, you know? And, and I've, I, 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 like many people, I'm not a lore person. I've never claimed to be. Same. But I do think it's interesting how basically Planeswalkers came to be. So, my understanding, and feel free to, you know, come at me, but... They have an innate spark. Okay. It's an unknown spark. They're just from birth. They have an ability that hasn't quite come to fruition. And through some kind of tragedy or uh, heroic intervention or some kind of cataclysmic event, okay. the spark comes to life. And then they become the said planeswalker. Okay. And, and, and that's when they, that ability gains, right? It's and then cool. once they have that, they now have the ability, again, forgive me, they have the ability now to travel the multiverse via the blind eternities. That's kind of the, we'll call that the Uber or the subway system for the <laughs> multiverse, right? <laughs> right, right. And we've got, this is, this is a super relevant conversation because now we're moving into a new set coming out soon it's the phyrexia you know all is one right did i say that correctly that's right all is one and what the phyrexians have basically suffered again forgive me for not knowing all the things and stuff about the lore but when they've tried to move through i guess the blind attorneys via portal they've lost some of their flesh it's basically you're getting destroyed by actually traveling happens and is there by any chance a keyword that explains what happens when they lose some flesh completed <gasps> wow like, you know it seems like so Stu and i were talking about this we're pre-gaming a little bit completed seems like the opposite of what's happening it seems more like incompleted yeah or maybe corrupted right but we're gonna go with completed it's and i think sure. we're saying that right we were even talking about the enunciation of the word correct is it completed Compliated. completed completed we don't know but that's not what we do here at UberCube. so before we get into this topic about these super friends we're gonna do the thing that we always do here and we're gonna enjoy our libations of the show anthony what you drinking tonight? i am having an Appalachian Mountain Brewery Longleaf IPA, and it is a kind of a, a local esque out of Ashboro, and I am looking forward to drinking this. So, how about yourself, Stu? I am drinking a New Belgium Voodoo Vice IPA. It's delicious. We talked about it before. Is that with the skeleton we of the have. Testarossa? We have, but the reason why I like this one so much is because look at that. I don't know if anyone else is drinking one of these right now, but if you are, you can see this one's got Michael Jackson on the can. That is straight, I'm, I'm that like is straight up. Yeah, family. that's a smooth criminal. It's, on the, it's smooth criminal yeah. in zombie form. Very with cool. A, with a very Hawaiian cool. shirt on. All right, so let's go ahead and crack these bad boys up and get to the topic. All right. So as we talked about before in our introduction, again, we're I am not a lore specialist. I enjoy the game of magic. I love it. But I just find the lore sometimes interesting. And we're going to talk about today... The Super Friends as an archetype. So, Stu, what is Super Friends and what would you define that as? So, we've talked about Super Friends being the Planeswalkers, right? I think that's kind of a fairly common term among the manager community. Like, Super Friends are generally considered to be like the Planeswalkers. So, 
The Super Friends archetype, for example, can be a deck that typically revolves or relies heavily upon the planeswalkers that exist within it for whatever reason. Either it, it's, you know, supplies some control aspects. Typically, I would say for the most part, a lot of the constructed decks, uh, even a lot of the, you know, not just 60 card constructed decks, but also EDH decks, uh, typically provide a fair amount of control, uh, but there's a whole suite of abilities and basically Planeswalkers, they really can do anything, right? They can control the board, they can provide tempo, they can reduce abilities, untap lands, the whole nine yards. So sometimes the planeswalker will try to carry to the finish line either through the control aspects, basically uh, out-tempoing or out-resourcing. They're, they're basically stalling the game. Or the other type is they're racing towards an ultimate of some kind, and the ultimate can be game-ending. And if you don't stop it, that you know you now have very limited amount of turns to actually deal with taking yep. out the player, no longer the planeswalker. Yep. So also the super friends will the package will consist of a lot of sweepers. Or wraths, if you want to call them that, and Can other do. and other and other trigger control speed or other removal control pieces, you know, to add to that suite to ensure the other player can't touch the planeswalkers as they're either going up and down on their loyalty. I ability. think certainly depending on the the deck that you are building, drafting, whatever the case may be, um, we're going to certainly get into that as this episode progresses. But I will say certainly, given sort of. The discussion that we've had before discussed in this episode, it is quite incredible the breadth of capabilities that you can use Planeswalkers for. And we can't talk about Planeswalkers, too, without talking about the Lorowin 5. This is the first five, and they came out, you know, when Lorowin came out, right? That's and these, right. these were game-changing. This was a complete, uh, when I say game-changing, they were literally reinvented the game of magic divisive, in so many ways it was divisive people didn't know what to do with them people Did, still don't like them yeah there's people that don't like people, them and you, may, you them. may hear some of that tone as we go throughout our conversation today. there's gonna be a little bit of love and a little bit of hate for them mm-hmm. and so let's talk about it so i'm gonna this is gonna be a very show notes centered centered yes. conversation right because for everyone that has seen the planeswalkers most of them are gonna have a minimum of three abilities. A lot of text. A lot, a lot, a lot of, text, of text, right? And this could be the 15-hour episode of Ubercube, or we could really get to the brass tacks of the conversation. So let's talk about the Lorwyn 5. Right. So it's Garrick. Is it Garrick or Garouk? It's Garrick. It's how I pronounce it, the Wild Speaker. I like Garrick as well. Yeah. Garrick Wild Speaker, Chandra Nalar, Ajani Goldmane, Liliana Vess, and Jace Bellerin. Those are your... Lauren five. There you Lauren five. So of these five, during that time period, some of them saw constructed play during that period, especially like Chandra did. And this may have been during standard times, whatever group did and Jace did. But let's talk about the two out of the Lauren five. And then later, the one that later just because, still remained. It's held on tightly ever since Lauren came out. And they're still found in cubes. And this one was Grook the Wild Speaker, and Jace Bellerin for different reasons. No love for Ajani Goldmine? Just a little bit? I can definitely understand Chandra Nalar, and I can definitely understand Liliana Vest, but I kind of feel like Ajani Goldmine has a bit of a place in it, there. It right? certainly only does. only four mana, and the other two are five. It, you know, And he has a relevant ability with the plus one, plus one counters on each creature you control, gaining vigilance until end of turn. Pretty strong. Yes, and as we do this conversation, so at Ubercube, we've never emphasized a power, power level, level of a cube, right? 100%. So we're going to be all over the spectrum here. So in a power, we're going to say the highest tier of power, and I know power is a highly subjective, let's just say a very strong, you know, the upper echelon of the magic game, Correct. right, type of cube. 
Karuk Wildspeaker has been the one that has held out the longest of right. the five, right? And I'll read that card to you because it's relevant. And, and what makes it so unique and relevant and still pertinent today is because of this. Karuk the Wildspeaker for two colorless and two forest. You get a three loyalty Planeswalker, Garuk. And it's plus one ability, untap two target lands. And then it's minus one ability is put a 3-3 three, three green beast creature token into play. And then mm-hmm. it's minus four ability or on its loyalty counters is creatures you control get plus three, plus three, and gain trample until the end of turn. Stu, think about what this would have looked like to someone who started playing Magic, you know, 25 years ago, where right now we're looking at creatures, for example, that are like... 4-4 trample and they cost three mana or you know we look at some of these undercosted creatures right now you only have to spend four mana to pretty much if it lands you get a 3-3 right away and then you've still got a planeswalker that you've got to deal with right kind of as, a, as maybe a little bit of a, an offset to this conversation but it kind of goes to show how much how powerful these are historically compared to some of the earlier magic cards now that of these five and i do and, and so each one of these and every one of these has a cube for them let's exactly. just start there right mm-hmm. but and we'll use my powered vintage 540 that i have and then there'll be others we're going to reference here shortly or at least ones that are of the highest power they're pushing the levels we said the upper echelon whatever you want to call it top tier magic mm-hmm. uh garuk is the one that has the three abilities that are pertinent all three of them hit the game and they come out, it comes out the ground running. It does something for multiple archetypes. Agreed. And we're going to talk about what makes this card so unique compared to the other five. The second place one, and I'll give this one an honorable mention, is Jace Bellerin. Yes. Uh, he has a place in a cube environment that I have that we will talk about here shortly. Uh, because that, that interesting ability to net cards and then choose whenever you want to give the opponent card back and forth, it is relevant. He's been superseded, he in has. my opinion. He has. There is a Planeswalker that I'm pretty confident that I'm going to at least honorable mention later in the episode, but definitely still has a place. But we will give one little little thing here. In a 1v1 environment is this evaluation. We're going to talk about multiplayer environments here shortly, and it changes the game on how you evaluate these cards, but I don't want to go into that too far because we're getting ahead of ourselves here at Ubercube. <laughs> All right, so we've kind of talked about, so Garouk, he still resides in a lot of cubes, still very predominant, does a lot right, of things. So. Oh, yeah, and it can survive in multiplayer environments. I mean, it's just a powerful card. Because here's the other thing as well, right? If you yeah. have if you have Garak, Garuk, whatever you want to say, you pay two colors and two forests. We don't right? need no water. Let and the- you untap two lands. You know what you can do with those two forests? You can play a Colonian Tusco. Yes, you can. And then you have, what is that, 3-3 three, three also? <laughs> I'm going to drop that in there every opportunity, and you know. All right. All right, moving on. So we've talked about Lore 1 5 and where they stand, right? So then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a very straightforward question out there to the universe. I'm going to ask Stu, in his opinion, he may not have been ready for this. I put the best Planeswalker of all time, but how about your favorite Planeswalker? It's probably a better way of saying it. Do you want to say my favorite, or do you want to say the best? Whichever you choose. I don't know if this is... I, I, I'm actually going to say that my best may be tied. Okay, but I also want to say that I think I need to mention one Planeswalker first, but I might say that the best Planeswalker of all time is going to be Jace the Mind Sculptor, because I don't know if a single Planeswalker card has had such an impact on the entire Magic the Gathering environment like Jace did. Okay, he was banned from Marden. He was a powerhouse in 
all of the constructed formats at some point, right? I'm pretty sure he was he was powerful in vintage, definitely in legacy, and most certainly in modern for the short time that he was legal there. I know this is cube centric, and I certainly will acknowledge that Jace the Mind Sculptor is not quite as powerful in a cube environment, but if we're just talking the best, I think Jace needs a mention. But this is 2023. This is when we're recording. Okay. So now times have changed. And I think there have been a few planeswalkers that have been printed very recently that are just absolutely bonkers. The first one I'm going to mention is Renan Six. It's a two mana planeswalker that maybe not necessarily in a cube environment, but certainly in some of the 60 card constructed environments has caused some major problems with one toughness creatures. The fact that it comes down, you can bring a land card back from your graveyard, which makes fetch lands increasingly powerful. It just makes it absolutely bonkers. And the ultimate is no slouch either. So Renan 6 is, is going to be at least up there. And my second one is going to be Mini Teferi, Teferi Time Raveler. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't argue. It's just absolutely nuts how powerful this Planeswalker is that for three mana, you can either bounce something back to your opponent's hand, bounce something back to your hand, and draw a card, or decide that you want to play sorcery speed, uh, sorceries at instant speed until your next turn, and then, and you jump it up to four loyalty, which in a lot of constructed formats, you know, in a world, again, this is 2023, in early turns where you're looking at things like, you know, Delver. Or, you know, DRC, right? Dragon's Rage Channeler. To be able to bump a Planeswalker up to four loyalty very, very quickly is just absolutely insane to me. So, you know, again, this is 2023. There's so many Planeswalkers are out there, but I'm going to say Jace the Mind Sculptor historically, but right now, Mini Teferi, Renan Six. Anthony, tell me what you got. Mine's going to be somewhat controversial. It's going to be both be a favorite and slightly unappreciated and exceptionally to, right, powerful. Before you before you answer, I want to ask a question. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me what your motivation is for choosing this card. Is it purely as we are a cube podcast? Is this the best cube planeswalker or is this just the best planeswalker a little bit of both okay there's perfect. a lot there's a lot of spice and a lot of things here that this card does okay that maybe gets overlooked okay, based on time it. right what you got? and it's going to be a johnny vengeant okay not interesting choice yes and for two colorless and boros you get a planeswalker a johnny it has starts out with three loyalty plus one target permanent doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step permanent let's just start there okay and secondly, his next ability is the minus two. A Johnny Vengeant deals three damage to target creature or player, and you gain three life. Uh, minus seven, destroy all lands target player controls. Now let me talk about each one of these effects and how why, why this draws me in so much. Okay, so let's start out with Boros. Boros is... It's kind of, it kind of doesn't fall into a control suite very often. There's a few cards out there that says, hey, I'm Boros, I'm controlled. The, the vast majority, it's very aggressive. I would very argue tempo. that white really does. I would argue that white is kind of like the yang to the blue yin of control. Ish. Blue carry, blue, yeah, sort of. But let's talk about this first piece. So that, that target permanent doesn't untap during its next that's, untap. That's very strong. That is strong. I mean, that's permanent. You get land, so it acts as a Rashad and Port. It takes down a soul ring. It takes down a creature. It's very, it very much stymies. Uh, it protects itself, right? That one mode protects itself and or 
cuts off resources kind for of. the person coming at it, right? Sure. So you can stymie their game. The next one takes out any immediate threats, including player removal, right? And stabilizes. So it's a tit for tat. I hit you for three, I gain three. So I'm 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 netting a virtual six. A swing for six is it's not a swing to for six, and, and it's on there for just basically taking it down to one. So you're going to start being motivated to taking them down again, sure, right? And then the ultimate is pretty much it, it can't. It's not necessarily the end of the game because it doesn't take out their permanence, but it just does a really unique Armageddon type effect that puts a clock on them that they must get their artifacts out and their creatures out. And then whilst doing all that, you're taking out their permanence that they're attempting to stabilize with the signets. You're taking down their pieces. This card is underappreciated, very powerful, and it's starting to, it's kind of went the way of the dodo in a lot of cube environments. I'm one of those holdouts for this card because for four mana, it, this does so much that emulates kind of a, we'll say a frost titan type effect. It does kind of a, a what's a, a lightning helix type of effect. Exactly. And then it costs it as a shot in a port and emulates an Armageddon, but a one-sided Armageddon or Ravages of War. It's a good card. It is powerful. And I, granted, it's not to today's standards where you're paying that four for three on loyalty, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna it say, does I don't enough. think it's the best Planeswalker of all time, if that's the... Most underappreciated best Planeswalker. I know there's a lot of them out here, but this thing... Let me read it. Three damage, start creature or player is problematic. If this was printed now, it may say any permanent or any target, rather. Yeah, and it could, get, it could be a Planeswalker killer. I, I know we're been, not there. But. I think it's been outvalued in the last few years because I think, obviously, for two mana, being able to recur great, you know, lands from your graveyard. Or yeah, I agree with that. Shut your, you know, that was another thing I didn't mention about Teferi is that the plus one ability allows you to shut your opponents from playing anything at instant speed, which is just absurdly powerful, right? Well, when this episode's over, my boy Johnny's going to drop me off at 20 for giving him a shout out, trying to get him back in cubes. But, you know, the card's still good. It has value add. Boros is an interesting suite. If you're looking for something that does something a little bit spicy, it's this cool has card. got all the spice. Cool all card. right, so let's kind of move over to, we've, we've done our, our favorite Favorites, if Let's you will. Talk numbers. So I did some I did some quantitative analysis. Okay. And I went through and I selected, you know, 10 to 15 cubes using Cube Cobra. God bless and Cube Cobra. It, it, I, just, I just ran basically. God bless Cube Cobra. It is wonderful. And I ran, <laughs> right, right, right. And I ran some numbers on, you know, how many Planeswalkers are in different cubes of various sizes. I focused prim- primarily on 360 and 540. And I wanted to get, hey, I asked myself, what do I believe the standard, what's the average that I would see percentage wise and the majority of cubes? Like, okay. and I did this for, I referenced my 540 powered vintage cube. I referenced the MTGO 540. Okay. Or the Moto. And I referenced Sandwiches 450. So Shout I did out. go a little bit out of the box there. And then I actually did Chill MTG's Soul Cube. Okay. And we'll kind of talk about those more. But when I ran the numbers on their amounts of Planeswalkers at their various sizes, it was pretty consistent, and uh, including the next 10 or so that I did of unnamed cubes. Five to seven percent of total amount was about the standing average. I would love to hear back from other curators, right? Because we like to talk to people on the Twitters and the socials. Um, let's hear from you guys as well. Five to seven percent. Does that sound about what you guys have got in your cubes? Let's let's you know, let's get some feedback on that as well. Let's get a conversation. That represents going. like twenty eight. It represents about twenty eight in my five forty. And, yep. and, and and we've had a lot of playtesting. So it's quite a small window as well. Yes. Five to seven percent. And the fact that you've got a few cubes there and they are in such a small window, like there's it's tight. It is tight. And I sampled about I, I random sampled about ten. I probably did more than that. But what I wanted to know was you know, what was the tipping point? And I'm not going to, this, this is going to be like, you know, if you're familiar with the Unsolved Mysteries, Mm -hmm. the show, 
I am. The name literally told you when you started watching it, you're not going to solve it, right? <laughs> I mean, you can sit there and watch the entire episode and go, well, damn I it. think it was I that still, guy. I still don't know. It was the I think I, I have my suspicions. But so I wanted to kind of know, what was that threshold, right? And these cubes that I named, the specific four, these have all been played Tested, balanced, curated. So I, I have faith in these four. A lot of people have seen them. They're not cubes that and, were created. And so ago. I asked myself, is there a number that was pertinent that you could put in a cube? Like, how many would you want before it was too many? Sure. Or if, if you had them at all, right? And I think I think a safe threshold, and this is just my personal opinion, I've always kind of counted. I've said, well... I start, when I started getting around 30, I started thinking, that's a lot of Planeswalkers. It was more of a, you know, like a, just, you know, putting my thumb in the wind and seeing if there was airflow kind of thing. But I said, 30 seems like a lot. So I kind of tweaked it back to 28. So I'm always mindful of that. When a new Planeswalker comes out and they say it's Gagari, and I have, I wanted to put another Gagari in there, sure. I'll swap them out one for one. I just don't add more and keep adding more. And we're going to talk about why that is. But I wanted the game to be very focused on a lot of different, I wanted to have an entire spectrum of magic play and not sure. just kill the planeswalker type sure. game, right? Okay. So that's kind of kind of an overview. I would say comfortably based on what I've looked at and I want to, like Stu said, I would love to hear your opinions. But I think the number 5 to 7% is mostly a very safe value if you're choosing to run them at all. I would agree with that. Um something that, you know, there's there's definitely there's decks and, you know, we don't talk about this too much, but for a commander for example, there's decks out there that are very super friend centric right the decks are full of planeswalkers and the idea is that you're just gonna you know utilize your your general the fixing and all that put a bunch of planeswalkers out there obviously if there's archetypes that exist whereby you want to put a bunch of planeswalkers out there you're doing so because they're they're generating value they don't even have to generate value when they come down there can be some persisting value right or something that's like man i don't want to have to face that for much longer like i want to put my creatures maybe i don't even have any creatures or maybe all the creatures that i've got i need to now focus on this one threat so um yeah i like i like the numbers on that and i'll be interested like you said to see how this lines up with other cubes and certainly outside of the vintage cube environment because like we talked about earlier this isn't just a power cube thing right it's it's a cube thing. A and so cube i will thing. put up i will put up a poll on twitter or rather i'll put up multiple social media questionnaires and i kind of yes. want to know a drill down of without you know i want i want your feedback on what you think is a safe number as start the conversation don't well, wait for us right 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 so <laughs> which kind of what Stu said leads us into a couple of breakdowns here so let's talk about the pros and i, I Stu, would you mind taking on these pros and i'll kind of bounce in as needed but i think you got a lot to say here because i think i think i'm going to fall a little bit into the con shell here a little bit all right so the pros and the first point that you mentioned control shell right and this fits perfectly with three fairy Little Teferi, right? Teferi Time Raveler. About as good a control planeswalker as you could want to prevent your opponent playing at instant speed. Gives you the ability to bounce a creature back to your opponent's hand and draw a card um, for only three mana, right? So when you think about other interactive spells that exist in the in the whole history of magic, right? Three mana to be able to do something that both gives you an immediate effect and a persistent effect... To me, that's kind of why I chose it as one of the most powerful. Like, that's pretty bonkers in a control shell that you only have to spend three mana to be able to do something like that, right? And I will interject again, because we talked about this in the beginning of the episode. Planeswalkers are, they are 
littered with text. They're text. Correct. They're text walls. Go read so show notes. Our show notes will include all of these. Please in so. addition to, you're more than welcome to take the names of the planeswalkers we're saying. And I know it said three fairy, and you're like, what does three to fairy mean? It's a fairy time rabbit. Exactly. You can scribe all this too. So exactly. I just want to make sure we're not losing the listeners out of respect. I understand the difficulty of trying to break down a planeswalker, but in order to be snappy here at Ubercube, we're Correct. just trying to get a keep a good flow. So I apologize for the minor interruption, but I feel it necessary. <laughs> These are word walls, right? No, 100%. They're very, they're very old school magic, but they're not. <laughs> I would agree. And certainly, you know, there's, there's, I, I'm, I would hope, and I'm sure that there's plenty of very, very experienced cube creators that are listening to this podcast right now that are going to say, like, absolutely, I'm very, very familiar with, you know, not just Planeswalkers, but all of the, you know, the, the cards that exist and have been printed certainly in the last few years in Magic, but certainly for anyone who's maybe newer to Magic or certainly newer to curating a cube and designing a cube, um, that is not a card that, and we talked about power level and just kind of throwing things in. Teferi Time Raveler is not just a Planeswalker that you throw into any cube because you're thinking, hey, I've got an Azorius Control Shell in my cube and this looks amazing. That card is bonkers powerful. Be careful with it. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of cards and we'll move through them and they'll be referenced again once again in our show notes. But a lot of these, you could quote unquote call them fun or you can call them oppressive. Yes. That, 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 that seesaw is going to Both. move tilt. Yeah, it's a scale. Right. It depends on your it depends on your definition of fun. But it is important that as a curator to gauge the power of the planeswalker. You may not be able you may not be evaluate that yourself. So it's good to look to your peer group, social media, look out on different groups, chat forums, etc. You can join the Ubercube uh discord if yeah. you want to talk about these and you go hey i got a great idea i want to throw up i found this teferi time reveler and i want to put this in my uh, i want to downgrade it and put it in my peasant cube what do you think <laughs> right and I'm, I, I make jokes i make jests do but it. but don't do it that's <laughs> right you're like nah, nah, nah. but but it's it is important because these can take over games even the ones that are very the ones that have the static effects are definitely that's a new kind of creation since war yeah. of the spark where we started seeing not only planeswalkers had loyalty triggers that counted through and you mm-hmm. could manage those but some of them became more of a static uh we'll call it a planeswalker enchantment ish where it's always there yeah it's a those ability. those abilities are just sitting there causing drama for your opponents etc like some the of them are very good and some, some of them, them are, are very bad. Some of them are really very, okay. It's all over the spectrum. But and that one's bonkers. But it changes the evaluation substantially on that card. If it didn't have that static effect, the card would change. It would just be a traditional draw card, bounce card type it thing. Draw go. You are 100% correct. And that, like, to me, and I don't want to get hung up on just talking about this one card, but Teferi Time Raveler is really one of those, like, it's almost a case study in cards that there is absolutely no weakness to that card, at least when it lands whatsoever, right? You can, if there's nothing on your opponent's board, you tick it up. If you're playing the control shell, now your opponent can't interact with you at instant speed. If your opponent has got a threat on the board, you land it, you bounce their, their threat back to their hand. Now it's an incredibly strong tempo play and they have a planeswalker on the battlefield that they need to deal with. And yeah, it's, it's might only have one loyalty after you've bounced it, but now that if they only have one creature, now you're not taking any damage. Sure, they get rid of your planeswalker, but now you've bounced the threat. I don't want to say what I wanted because I'm going to save that for later, but now it's a whole extra turn until they have to, they can do something. So Stu and I have brought Teferi home for supper at this point, right? And I think it's best that the audience now meets Teferi. <laughs> and so Teferi, Time Raveler, one Colorless, and Azorius, she had a legendary Planeswalker. Teferi, it starts out with four, four loyalty. Mm-hmm. It has a static effect of each opponent can cast spells only any time they could cast a sorcery. Each so, opponent. 
EDH yeah, players, take yeah. note. Yeah, EDH players, take note. Multiplayer cubes, take note. Uh, two at a giant. This is oppressive. I won't run that it's in there. Bonkers. It's just literally styming. It, it depends on how you want your interaction to be. Uh, it, it, it literally scales with the volume of players, right? Plus one, until your next turn, you may cast sorcery spells as though they had flash. So it gives you... The player with the priority holding the Teferi, the ability to cheat around that and to play all of your spells is significantly quicker. I don't, I, can you imagine three mana play Teferi? Yeah, you're tempoing them out of the game. I mean, they're just behind the clock now, right? Yeah. And then the minus three, and this one's just kind of creates more of that drama. And it, this does lose some relevance as you transition into a multiplayer environment. It'll be minus three. Return up to one target artifact, creature, or enchantment to its owner's hand and then draw a card. Really a, really a period, not, not the just, word, and then not but, just ban something, but you get to draw a card as well. Yeah, so you're kind of you're tempoing them out, you're card advantaging them. I can realize that that one thing may not be as scalable into a multiplayer environment, but still, people are going to want to come at you, so you better be prepared to defend it. Definitely. It is prepared, and now in a one v one scenario, now that we've brought Teferi to dinner, and it's become uncomfortable because <laughs> you know he's not only eating your lasagna, he's eating all of our lasagna. And we haven't even had a chance to see it because he's done it on our turn. That's right. I hate this card. I love hate this card. So good. Buyer beware is all we're saying here, right? That was Stu's whole point. Question is with cards like this, and there's a lot more. There's so many planeswalkers that you're like, oh man, that seems pretty sick. I'm gonna put Chandra Torture Defiance in my cube, right? That's one of the the card card can kill you, and and it's not even a little bit. A lot. I I love that you mentioned that card because that was exactly what I was gonna mention. When you're designing a cube, these are the kind of you know, it doesn't matter what car, kind of card it is. It doesn't matter if it's a creature or a sorcery or an instant or, a, or, or anything. But I kind of feel like Planeswalkers, if you're including them, we've talked about other cards in other episodes of UbiCube where you can be like, man, you need to be kind of careful about putting this card in or that card in. I feel Planeswalkers are the absolutely most delicate inclusion in any cube. Am I maybe going off 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 on that? But nah. I kind of feel like nah. I think that the planeswalkers are potentially the card that can make or break archetypes because they not only have the bit like look at that card, right? If you've got any reactive well, Wait a minute, let's don't look at that card. Let's look at Chandra. Look at Chandra. Torch of Defiance for two so coalitions and two Chandra. mountains. You get a legendary planeswalker, Chandra. He's making me do the one with all the text. Plus one, <laughs> exile the top card of your library. You may cast this card. If you don't, Chandra Torch of Defiance deals two damage to each opponent. This next plus one has two plus ones, and it started out with a loyalty of four, folks. Uh is add Two mountains to your mana pool, or two red to your mana pool. And then minus three, Chandra Torture Defiance deals four damage to target creatures. So there's that. It can deal with threats on the board. Mm-hmm. And then the ultimate, and seldom, seldom, and we're jumping ahead of our clock in our show notes here. Seldom do we evaluate. I mean, people just bypass ultimates like nobody's business. They're like, eh, it's got an ultimate. Not this one. Uh, it started out with the loyalty of four. You didn't have to do a whole lot to clock it up. You can accelerate it in different ways. But for minus seven, you get an emblem. And for those that aren't familiar with an emblem, it is a static effect that Wizards hasn't quite put out a way to solve. It's it's a permanent attribute that will be assigned to you as a player. Uh, whenever you cast a spell, this emblem deals five damage to any target. I'm going to go out on a limb real quick and say that one of the reasons why I think that maybe the ultimates on Planeswalkers are probably less considered. I don't want to cause any offense to any of the cube guys out there, cube people listening to this and listening to it as a purely cube. But maybe there's people out there that look at it, they're thinking with it in an EDH mindset. 
Yeah. It's How easy. often is your is your planeswalker really realistically going to reach that ultimate level in a correct three when you got to multi, four in a multiplayer environment. environment? It's 100%. never going to happen. Yeah, right? it's, it's not going to happen. It's the one v one evaluation but that those, changes these but cards. Those, but those pluses and those minuses yeah. that are available as it hits the ground, those are the ones that are that are. And and you know what? To be fair, even in a cube environment, like you're not always expecting your planeswalker to survive the next turn. It doesn't always have to. But the power that you get from it when it does, sometimes that's enough. So we've now enjoyed Teferi and Chandra, and we've talked about them. But we're now still in the pros context, right? So some finishers. of the, some of the pros. About, let's yeah. talk about finishers, right? We, we, yeah, we're talk, let's keep talking about pros. Finishers. Okay, so finisher. I'm going to go with one that's a classic. It's Elspeth, Sun's Champion. Four colors, two white. Very straightforward. Plus one, put three uh, one one white soldier creature tokens onto the battlefield. Minus three, destroy all creatures with power four or greater. That's pretty strong. So she's either protecting herself if you're not too worried about the ground, because she can just put one one tokens. She's protecting herself because she's literally destroying all the big creatures. But her ultimate, you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus two, plus two, and have flying. Yes, she's expensive, but that is a finisher. So... To, to kind of reiterate what he's saying here in so many words, the pros are it sets a clock. It establishes a finisher. It supports multiple archetypes, right? Generates advanced lines of play. These are More the aggro-based. Yeah, but these, and it has synergies with a lot of them. We're going to talk about that because we're going to switch back and forth for different types of cube environments. Sure. But that's the pros. I'm going to focus on the, uh, the cons. I'm going to be the killjoy or the antagonist here a little okay. bit. And so a couple of things you have to consider with a Planeswalker. It's not so much a con, but it's a reality check. It's the power level versus the environment. Just because it looks beautiful and you got that foil of the Elspeth and you want to put it in that cube, it doesn't mean it's right for it. It could be overpowered. It, it could have a lot of different things that really tilt the scales in your environment. And, and we go back to the old adage, it's only one card, Anthony, right? How could that possibly warp my environment? Well, that's where it starts. Because it's the one card that whenever I sit down and draft your cube, I am drafting that card yes. Every single time, and if I get it, pick one, pack one, I'm drafting around it every single time. And that's that's not going to lead to a Players do that that are, have a spiky type mindset. Yes. They don't necessarily announce that to you. But if you have cards that are extreme power outliers, and it's okay to have some that are high ceilings, right? They're power max, they're really pushing the thresholds of your cube. That's perfectly fine, right? In context. You don't want a flat sure. environment. But when you start getting cards that start getting identified as they're just game-winning, game-changing. Sure, in my play group, we, like I said, we have a, a lot of people that are very uh, commander-oriented. They're jovial. We're having a good time. We're drinking beers. But every once in a while, somebody puts their hat on backwards and they want to spike. It's just the way, right? I, I t- and and you know what? I did it last night. I tend to find myself as being that kind of drafter, right? For the most part, when I'm drafting... I kind of get an early idea of what I want to draft. Yeah. Right? I want to force something. But you can't build your cube around the fact that people just want to have fun. There needs to be power and fun need to exist together harmoniously. A little spike mentality is okay in a, smid- fine, a smidgen, absolutely. right? But when you put a planeswalker in there, it's warping or very noticeable or eye-catching. What it can do, just like anything else we talked about before, like the uh, the card Soul Ring, and I don't want to tangent too much. If it's so eye-catching that it's skewing your draft choices, that can be a con. Because in certain environments, people might realize that this is just dominating and has dominated it hurts the player agency inadvertently. Yes. Even though they don't realize it's happening because they're kind of going, it's getting on rails because the choices are being taken away from them because the choices are now, uh, it's going to be premium versus 
I don't know, the, the, the for sale cart that you see at the grocery store. Is, did someone, nickel and dime, right? Did someone decide to spike tonight and just decide, I want to get that card and I want to just go power max and min max on the, on the draft. You know? and, and then some other cons of planeswalkers and this kind of ties and we're going to go into the evaluation, but these tie into it. It's going to be thematic decision-making, right? Like this isn't right for my type of environment. Either it's, you know, like I have a horror cube genre and I don't want to put a Johnny Avenger in no, there. It doesn't fit at all. It, it, it would cause awesome, but doesn't really fit my theme I'm trying to do. So that choice wouldn't make a lot of sense exactly. from a thematic standpoint for Agreed. aesthetics purposes. Right. And then another one that's going to, Branch over to the evaluations. A lot of them don't have the, some of them don't have the ability to protect themselves. Absolutely. Protection is going to come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It's going to be tap down. It's going to be uh, destruction form. It's going to be bounce. It's going to be all kinds of stuff, right? Or yep. blanking them out, whatever, whatever it takes. They're all going to be doing stuff. And as we move through and transition into bigger, badder planeswalkers, those abilities are going to go into spectrums we've never even seen before. The next one is the abilities, they may not be relevant at all levels for your environment. That's a consideration. That's a con, right? Like maybe let's just say Grook untapped two lands, but that's all that, you know, all he did. Another net did a whole lot of nothing. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a card you would just choose to pay four mana for a thing just untap two lands, right? Just for a ramp spell. So you have to have something that's relevant and it, and it checks all the boxes. And that's why out of the lower one five, Grook is a survivor because Being all able, three of them are relevant. It's so bananas that you can just minus one Garrick and put a 3-3 three, three out and he still has two loyalty. Yeah, right? that's why it is still it, a relevant magic card. It's, it's pretty nuts. In cube environments. Look at it historically, man. Four mana for a 3-3 three, three isn't terrible. But, but everything, every single thing it does, and then we talked about Chandra so and Teferi and all that. Every one of those, what makes them unique is the boxes, when you check them, does something that hits a lot of different either archetypes or control pieces, etc. that makes your cube environment more enriched, right? Yeah. If they have duds in them, they get pushed to the wayside. Uh, and then we talk about casting cost versus loyalty. It's part of the evaluation that I'm going to migrate over here to very shortly, which I think we've kind of pseudo-bled into that. But the cons-wise is... That's just something you have to consider. Another thing, and this is in my evaluation piece, but it's relevant to this, is Planeswalkers can act as a active fog or additive distraction to the game or a sub-game. I don't care if that comes off with a negative connotation so much as is the reality. I like the fog, all right? And the reason why I like the fog is because it requires someone... OP, you need to get rid of this planeswalker. Or you don't. I mean, you can picture the ants going around the river. Do I want to? Or do they go at it? No, you have to get rid of some of these. And, okay, we've just talked... We spent some time talking about the absolutely... We spent some time talking about broken planeswalkers. We spent some time talking about Teferi Time Raveler. We spent some time talking about Renan Six, right? Or even Jace the Mind Sculptor, right? Those are absolutely must-get-rid-of. Renan Six, because you now can't play a one-toughness creature... Teferi, because now you can't do anything at instant speed. Jace the Mind Sculptor, because he, he just represents the end of the game if you can't get rid of him before he gets to 12 loyalty, right? But it's not just the fog, right? Not just the turn that comes down. If you have to just swing your creatures at that, at that planeswalker to get rid of them, and that's all you do your next turn, it's a time walk. Time walk is one colorless, one blue, Take an extra turn. But if all I've done is played a Planeswalker and all my opponent has done the next turn is swing to get rid of that Planeswalker, then I have got a time walk. And I don't really care if I've spent three or four mana to do it. The value is is incredible or can be incredible. I 100% agree. 
it's it comes down to is it just creating something that is drawing away from the gameplay, right? And, and it's a consideration. If you're putting Planeswalker out and, and everybody has to divert the resources to deal with this one thing all the time because it's an outlier. Time Walk is a great storm spell. That is, time Walk it, is a is an incredible everything spell, right? It's it's just it's one of the most incredibly powerful spells that have been created in the history of magic, but now planeswalkers, you know, like they they do represent that if they're not managed correctly in a Cuban bar. And then, which leads us over to our next portion, and, and it's kind of goes into the con slash. You got to really balance the equation. What is too many planeswalkers? And, and again, back to 400. my yeah, <laughs> four hundred and a four hundred. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a planeswalker cube might be the most interesting, most boring gameplay I've ever seen. No, that life. is the number. But <laughs> okay, if anyone asks. How many is too many planeswalkers? It's 400. It's really difficult when there's only been 275 <laughs> plus planeswalkers printed in existence. But once we get to the 400, we'll be able to build this cube. Okay. But so we talked about the cons. And one of the cons was, eh, are there too many of them? It's not only are they too powerful, but are you saturating your environment with them? It is a consideration because too much of a good thing, you know, it's just like anything else. It's It, it could divert the game because a lot of the planeswalkers, yes, some of them make creatures that may mobilize gameplays. Some of them do interactive, you know, gameplay and hurt the player and do cause life totals to transition. But there are periods where some of them just have static effects and it would be like enchantment versus enchantment battle. And I could see that not being ideal. So you really have to balance that equation as a curator. And that kind of comes back to when I looked at the different evaluations, I looked at my cube and like I said before, I had 28, which is the equivalent of about five to 7% of the cube. There's some variation in there because I didn't count all of them, but there's no there's no metric here that I can give you as an advanced statement. You you should only run six percent, but I'm just telling you, I looked at a lot of really powerful cubes that I thought qualified, and on average the max was seven percent. I, I think it's a good safe number. And I think power level agnostic, right? You can always make decisions to include cards that are top planes well. Because I mean this might seem like an incredibly obvious statement, right? But there's always going to be a replacement for a planeswalker card. However, there are always going to be, well, maybe not always, but there are going to be situations where you are developing a cube and you've got your archetypes all laid out and you think, you know what? Maybe it's not the the key to the kingdom for that archetype, but maybe it's the card that doesn't really fit anything else. You're not just going to pick up that planeswalker because it just kind of might work in any in some of my other archetypes. But you know what? For this one archetype, it just works. It just it just fills a gap somewhere. It might not be the key. It might not be a hundred percent essential, but it just works. Like Ren and Six just falls comfortably into a lands matters theme, but also does. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me. Ren and Six. I don't. I don't want to say. Me that say Ren and do Six, you want me to say seven? I don't want to say Ren and Six just falls into. I did, okay, the word "just" may have been an overstatement, but it's a good shell for it to it coexist is. in. It is, and and it does control a lot of other pieces. I would say like, outside of Vintage Cube, though, if you have Ren and Six, I am probably going to force the heck out of that. So as we've talked about, we've we've talked about a consortium of planeswalkers at this point, right? And super and friends, super friends is the reference, right? And to reiterate, the super friends package in your cube, it's going it can be all shapes and colors, right? It can be America, it can be t- Teamer to describe those colors. It can be whatever you need, a Golgari. But one of the major pieces to reiterate is sure you play a planeswalker, so either it has the ability to protect itself 
or win the game or control the game and or you have a lot of wraths, spot removal, control interaction, stuff that basically you want to basically stop your opponent. You want to stymie them until your planeswalkers just either, I mean, frankly, makes them quit the game. They can win. They can win. Or or it closes out the game with some kind of ultimate, right? But I want to tell you a little funny story recently. This is... This is me. Story time. Super confident Anthony. Super friend story We're, time. Super friends. Not even. Just super <laughs> friend with no S. And I played against Chris Moore. We're doing a little uh, Houseman draft of his his powered vintage. I, I believe it's a 450. Uh, we're having a good time. I'm introducing the Houseman draft. I am pretty confident. On the play, I am dropping a land, a swamp. I'm going to hit a dark ritual. Okay. And into Liliana the Veil. That's an incredible play. Just start getting it, right? So immediately, plus one, tick up. I'm gonna, everybody discard a card. I don't care. I've planned for this. Chris has not. This is where I'm at, right? My brain space, like, oh man, I mean, I'm doing the spicy. I'm rubbing my hands together, like, got him. Keep doing it. He's like, I got no cards. Keep doing it. Got no cards. Oh man, I am getting to the ultimate. Oh my, oh, oh my gosh. It's, I'm gonna take her all the way. Is it six, right? I'm gonna take her all the way. Minus six. Get it, Chris. Just, Get, get rid, we're gonna we're gonna separate your piles. We're gonna blow up your stuff. You know who lost me? The what ultimate. Did you did, separate? I don't. The, did he have anything? I think I made some very poor choices. I got wrapped up in the moment. It was the excitement of just the <laughs> ultimate. Like oh my god! And I wasn't even defending her so much. I was hand stripping. I was. I thought I had a play. And you know what Chris did? He stayed calm, cool, and collected like a cucumber. He was taking his licks. He played to his outs. I mean, you he watched me get. He watched me hide behind this. We're gonna call it my my inflated ego of uh, tick. You kind of realize. that it's look that it's an incredibly strong a false ultimate, a right? false of, of the veil. So for those who are not aware, you separate your opponent's cards into two piles. One gets dumped. One gets kept. Right. So, but if you have like, I can imagine. I'm, I, I don't know what kind of deck he had. It was good, um, but I like, thought I cut it to say, pieces. Let's say, for example, you have like a mono red deck, and I've just been plowing you, bang, bang, bang. I've got Monastery Swift Spear. I've got Goblin Guide. I've been hitting your life total down. Yeah, you've been making me, you know, maybe you made me sacrifice a creature, but I'm imagining that because you ultimated it. So you're ticking it up, and you're making me discard cards, but each turn I've been able to drop a land and maybe drop a creature. You've been maybe dis- making me discard like, oh man, I, I this land would be nice, but I'm going to keep it in hand because it sucks to discard a card at any point, but I don't need that land. So you made me discard a land and then you ultimate, it's like, maybe I've got three or four lands. Maybe I've got two creatures, but you know, you know what? You've got three life and I top deck a lightning bolt and you're dead. This, this may be, so this was eye opening for me. This may have been just last week, right? I've been playing magic for a long time and I, it's not the first time I've ultimate. Liliana the Veil. Oh, sure. oh, of course. But this is sure. the first time where, like, so skill skill wise, Chris Moore, he, he is exceptional player. Very he's, he's very strong. Very, he's one of the strongest strong. in our bunch, right? Yes. And and so I've got this little bit of high, right? A, a, a little euphoria, like I'm gonna get him. You know, I'm doing the spicy hands, right? And he just stayed cool, and he he played to his outs, and I f- was behind that security blanket of or that little that little you know i'm holding that little warm cozy blanket are you look, making and i point, think i'm gonna survive are you and making he, the point that and he su- survived it but are you making a point that super friends has the ability 
to maybe give f- people a security yes. blanket that really doesn't exist. Yeah, some of them. So they give you this false sense, sense of, of security, security that they're so powerful that you have to deal with this. I've had people run around Jace Bellerin, right? And I've I've actually made I've been on both ends of this mistake. So you know his what is it his his plus one is everybody draws a card. Is minus ones is it no, the, minus one? Yeah, plus one. Everyone everybody draws, draws a card. Minus, minus one, one, you draw a card. card. Yeah. And well, I've had a few times where I've made the calculated decision. Like I don't care, man. Just draw your cards. I'm gonna run around. Like so, I'm doing those ants. I'm, yeah. Well, I didn't. It, I learned right. So it was like those ants going around that river. I don't need to go over the river. I'm gonna go around the river, whatever that means, right? And Jace, the card advantage alone overtook the game. It yes. had nothing to do with anything more than that person was just drawing down and getting card advantage. And I miscalculated it, thinking that I could overtake them with resources. Meanwhile, they're basically, you know, they're actually getting more resources than I am because I'm running a Boros Boros aggro deck thinking I don't have to care about this. So they can create an active fog, an additive distraction. They can detract from the game. But at the same time, you can't ignore all of them. None. Some of them must not be ignored. Yes. And some of them can cause you to not strike the player, which is an interesting kind of psychological warfare that's happening. I know I need to... Uh, Stu's, uh, you can make stupid decisions. Stu's at six life, but, oh man, he just played Liliana the Last Hope. I'm going to stop striking Stu with my creatures, and I'm going to divert my... Re- it's kind of a silly... But you understand where I'm going. It could draw you in. Yes. And it allow it can also allow players to stabilize amidst the draw in, right? They're they're kind of create the fog of war. Yes. And that's what's so interesting about it. Yes. That. Like I said, it can be a fog. It can be a time walk. Like there's so many cool effects. There's psychological but warfare on the battlefield. I was gonna say some of those effects can be psychological and not just what the plus or the minus effect. You put is. these in front of a new player. Uh, welcome to Magic the Gathering. I'm gonna play this weird looking multi tier multi tier. Yeah, yeah. freaking out. You think you have to crush this with all your being. I was panicking. And some of them you must, but some of them you can survive it. I kinda panicked. I Back was like, to- hang on a second. This yeah. is like I'm I'm I've got a two for one. You know, or a two versus one that I'm facing right now because this, you know, this player's got all these cards in their hand and I've got this planeswalker that's also doing stuff, right? And it's not, they're not irrelevant abilities. Like, which one do I choose? Do I attack this one? Do I attack that one? Like, what do I do? So within the show notes, I've included not only the list form of everything broken down in my cube. We're not going to talk about these individually. No, individual there's so many of them, so right? So many and so many. I mean, ones. I literally told you I have 28 of them. So I'm going to spare all of you the mental uh, mental overload here to read these. But you will find in the show notes literally every single card that's in my cube. In addition to, I'll have the cube link that you can refer to. So let's talk about, like... A different way of using them. So we've kind of talked about the highest tier, we'll say Chill MTG's uh, Soul Cube, where it's a Correct. very powerful cube, right? So when he's running them in there, he's running them for the most efficient, the most uh, aggra- aggressive, even egregious play lines, right? Yes. They're, they're, they're doing something that is moving the game forward. But sometimes, just sometimes, you can run Planeswalkers that not only on theme, but they're utilitarian even and they kind of play into an archetype that these are going to be very powerful but it's in context to the environment and and they're fun and i will say yeah i want to highlight the fun right and certainly from the two-headed giant cube i love 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 and i will certainly say that i love the two-headed giant cube because at cubecon there was a couple of uh, games there where chill mtg and i we played against yourself and uh, our, our amazing friend christian we Madison. Got rolled yeah you kind of did but the fun was that these super friends 
sometimes the incremental value, it is fun. So And sometimes just dealing a bit of damage. They're a little different. So like if you're going to a multiplayer context in the case of a two-headed environment, and I'm still running Planeswalkers, and I run uh, quite a few of them. I don't have the total count right in my notes. But something like Basri Ket which I'm not going to read a lot to you, but essentially I'm putting in there because it puts plus one, I'll plus one it. counters. I'll read Go it for real it. quick because Take I don't on. think this is as It's an as unusual, it's an unusual so it's one. Basriket, two colors, one white, plus one, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature, not just you control, but target creature. Yep. It gains indestructible until end of turn, minus two whenever one or more non-token creatures attack this turn, create that many one, one white soldier creature tokens that are tapped and attacking, and minus six, you get an emblem with at the beginning of combat on your turn creates a one one white soldier creature token then put a plus one plus one counter and each creature you control enters with three loyalty pretty good for a three uh cmc planeswalker and you can see how that, that can play sure you can run this in a 1v1 environment you can run this in a very comfortably in a thematic type environment but also in a two-headed giant cube the plus one and the minus two effects very much play into that i have a team and even the ultimate is relevant because you need to go wide strategy, right? It grows. And then other examples, and these will be in the show notes, it'll be a Johnny Adversary of Tyrants, which falls into that. And I want to talk about these 1-1 one, one counters. A lot of this because I run not only a plus 1, plus 1, minus 1, minus 1 counter, but I also run a proliferation. Very, very in line with like the yep. Carmen Handy uh, proliferation cube, cube yeah. right? So I'm kind of taking a little bit from that. And then we talked about our good friend from the Laura One Five, Jace Bellerin. And for one colorless and two. Uh, to blue, you get a Planeswalker Jace. This is the OG, right? With the interesting anime art that I have in here. And you get three loyalty. <laughs> and it's plus two. Each player draws a card. So you can see where you, maybe your partner needs to restock. And then minus one, maybe your player has a full grip. Your teammates do sit to my left versus, say, Chris and uh, Christian sitting across the table. Or chill, right? Sure. And we need to get some advantage. I will minus and I'll target player draws a card. So maybe I don't want everybody, but I want it to survive. And then the ultimate, I hate the ultimate on this card. It's so it good. Does, it's so good, but I don't want it to exist. It's minus 10. Target player puts the top 20 cards of his or her library into their graveyard. You know what I love this? But this card is never intended to be that. It uh, is the uptick and downtick okay, of the draw yeah, card. Exactly. And that's one of the things that I love about Jace Bellerin. It's so simple in its design. It's like it's elegant. minus one, you're the only one that's getting an advantage right now. Plus two, everyone is. But oh my gosh, if you get to minus 10. Yeah, in a 40, uh, yeah, in a 40 I, card I, environment. I, I personally dislike Mill with a passion, but I can see where it's strong, right? It's I'm not even. You like about Mill, I just, you don't, we're not even going to dissect that. That's for another episode of we Anthony's going to do visceral, visceral hatred of Mill. Not self Mill, Mill. Coming but you soon. could self-mill yourself, and this would be great again. But I'm all about it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll lie on the couch, and we'll talk about you know all the problems that That's I have. That's another point. I mean, self-mill, it's target player, right? Self-mill, lab man. Sure, if you're, running, if you're running some kind of uh, graveyard cube, I could see rocking this, right? You want to mill yourself. I am playing this in a mono-blue lab man, Thassa's Oracle Go show. for it. That's what I'm trying. I, I, yeah, that's, that's neat. But, that. but I think that, that that ultimate really skews the game, <laughs> right? It has potential to be back-breaking, and it, it, it and I a, think it only does if you've got... Like, you hope take, your players have take, a conscience or a good moral compass take, as, what, as a curator. Take Labman, take Thassa's Oracle out of your cube, then what is Jace Bellerin? It is a make a choice to give your opponent a card as well as yourself, or just yourself get a card, right? I think the ultimate is 
quite archetype dependent question mark i don't know i i think i would argue the fact that jace bellerin is one of the more power level agnostic planeswalkers in that it's not necessarily going to be a a a problem if you don't have something that can take advantage of the of the of the ultimate so we saw another one that we have in here too is uh i run will and i run rowan kenrith and we saw them i believe come out in el drain or i think i got or actually i think i got that wrong they came out in battle bond i i can neither switch those two but these two planeswalkers they basically found themselves we had you had them two together in el drain if i'm not mistaken are they brother and sister they are brother and sister they and are, then okay. and then they have separate planeswalkers cards that are very powerful that came out during battle bond yeah and i run them both because they have that partner ability and it really encourages players in a two-headed giant scenario another one that's very interesting is dovin hand of control now this is kind of ish the kind of three fairy that he alluded to but for two and uh, azorius hybrid you get a five loyalty planeswalker and it, it what i like about these is they came out during the war of spark it is a legendary planeswalker dovin and artifacts instants and sorcery spells your opponents cast cost one more there is a ton i think i read that of, a little goofy but you get the point well there's a ton of uncommon rarity level planeswalkers that came out in war of the spark that are very very close to the structure of dovin as far as a super friend right so no plus ability so you don't have a way to increase the loyalty counters but you do have a minus one ability that gives you like this incremental advantage each turn pretty cool and this one exemplifies when i said the word active fog this one actually shows what I'm trying to say in so many words, because it literally does it. Minus one, until your next turn, prevent all damage that would be dealt to and dealt by target permanent and opponent controls. And that's really neat in a two-headed giant environment, because there's a lot of stuff that does static effects of damage, etc. Yep. And it really controls the riot, I guess, coming at you. Agreed. But it does the one thing that Anthony's been screaming the whole time, active fog, active fog. So we kind of move on to the next one. We talked about before, we did the MTGO analysis, and I'll have this in the show notes. You'll find 32 Planeswalkers of their 540. It falls within that percentile of the 5 to 7 that I had discussed A couple previously. of changes between uh, your uh, vintage environment and the Moto vintage environment, but Correct. nothing that's like, you know... They run wow. they run Ashiok and they run uh Kaito Shizuki. I will They're both um, neat, but I don't I, run them currently. I think Kato's a cool card. Is it Kato? I yeah. say, uh, Kato. Um I will say that I think Ashiok Nightmare Weaver, um again, another card. We'll include it in the show notes. Um I think we have it in the show notes. If not, check it out. Um I think it's a bit of an underappreciated card in the room that I'm in right now. I know there's a lot of people that like this card. I do myself. Um pretty powerful. Um uh, but I can understand it's not a instantly like impactful card right when it when it lands so not a card i would ever fault someone for not including in a cube uh but for the most part you've got like your you know your your typical what you would expect to see your lilianas narsets chandras garricks teferis elspeths gideons that kind of stuff so yeah kind of the expected super friends we saw in war the spark right and 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 so what the player wants to do to just kind of tie it off is they want to drop these planeswalkers they want to control the playing field and they want to decisively choose how this game is going to be played 
to the OP, right? Exactly. They're going to be taking out your threats. They're going to be, you know, in a Johnny Vengeant, blowing up your lands. They're going to be ultimating with Chandra of Defiance and just hitting you for five every time they cast a spell. Or they're getting doing, that recurring They're going to be doing Jace. You never even get to play because they keep bouncing your stuff. That's they get the card advantage, yeah, right? Recurring. Exactly. These, you can run Grist. But what they're going to oh, We didn't talk about Oko. Oko Thief of Crowns, which is just, at this point, infamous, infamous for what it has done to so many structured environments. And it's crazy that, you know what let's talk about that just for a second we have just done a whole super friends episode we've been recording for about an hour we have not mentioned oko once yeah. why have we not we loathe this but part why? but love it at the same i time? love oko but why have we not mentioned oko that's a good point because i'm more of i'm on team minx and boo and a johnny vengeance and boo is incredible i love them and whereas oko thief of crowns at this point i think has just so much infamy tethered to the idea of the card sure and what it did to so many constructed environments i do run this in my powered vintage environment it this is one that. of those cards that i would say unless your environment can handle it i do not recommend running this card outside of the highest tiers of magic and again reiterating that is a subjective tone. No one wants to hear that my cube is not powerful, but but subjectively to the entire genre, the entire gameplay of Magic, there are tiers. I mean, we do acknowledge that. Uh, using Ancestral Recall as being like power max nonsense, soul ring power max nonsense. That's where Oko sits. Oko doesn't sit down here where I'm running um, uh, Signets just because I run them because they're powerful it, uh, or some kind of goblin welder because it's awesome. It, it, it's a whole different type of play. It's competitive, super high tier play versus I want to run something that's fun, but super strong. Oko is a threat to a lot of environments. It is. The only time that Oko, I believe... It can win games by itself. Interesting thing about Oko, and we don't want to hark on Oko too much because it's a horrible card. We did play a game of Commander one time. I think it's a good case study, we, though. We, we did. We played Oko. Oko, just what's attached to the idea of Oko, right? So Stu is playing Oko in a game where <laughs> he just play he drops the card and there's three other players, right? And he turns someone's thing into an elk. And it just draws... And it was, let, me, let me clarify. Yeah, it didn't right? make any sense what happens next. I did elk a creature that was a legitimate board threat not just a single person threat it's like we need to get rid of that card because that's gonna be either a pain in the butt or an unfun card for the rest of the table right so i'm gonna get rid of that i'm gonna kind of and i hate to be like i'm gonna do everyone a favor look at me i'm like you know i'm the i'm the good guy here which i generally don't tend to do but I'm going to do everyone a favor. I'm going to pay three mana. I'm going to play Oko. And that creature right there that's going to be a pain in the butt, it's gone. And he dealt with a threat that was a threat to the entire what table. What happened, Anthony? The emotional response came online. Yes, Just because did. the infamy that's been attached to the idea of Oko, Thief of Crowns, and all the stories that are attributed to it. And, and people lost their minds. I didn't. I enjoyed what happened next. People began to... I don't to, even think you got they, to have a turn before it was wiped off the battlefield. No, they just started go, They started attacking as if he just he, he just declared war on the table when all he did was use it as a, a really not great removal spell. Which I will say, and for clarification, this is uh, a Tassiger commander deck that I play. It's a combo deck. But one of the reasons why I keep... Oko in the deck is for that exact reason is because every time I land it, everybody freaks out. It drives home that active fog idea. It's like, I don't care how many resources, what I have to do to get this, get this planeswalker off the battlefield. I'm going to do it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got a combo in my hand. I am more than happy for you to like tap your mana and attack your creatures against that, that planeswalker. Cause 
I might win in the next turn or two and you've spent all this time and effort, resources and whatever into getting rid of this one Planeswalker that really after it's done that, in a, especially in a three, four player environment, it's kind of done after that. Point. It creates added distraction. But like you say, yeah. and, and Tassiger, anyone that, that plays a, a Tassiger EDH deck will know that it can be a very political commander. You don't have to worry about that necessarily in cube when you're playing a 1v1, but that's the kind of reaction that people will get when they see a planeswalker like Oka. But it, we're not just limited to Oka. We could be looking at, again, Teferi Time Reveler. We could be looking at Renan Six or Chandra or Jace the Mind Sculptor. There is always going to be that emotional reaction to those planeswalkers, to those super friends that can either skew things, it can make things awkward, it can be a positive experience, but definitely something to consider. So let's talk about different experience. We did the pros and cons, we've done the super friends and what that means, but let's talk about when they might not be right for your environment. So maybe they're just such a highest pick that they distract or they skew the draft experience that you've noticed repetitively that people keep grabbing I don't know, in my very not-so-powerful environment, but I decided for the lulls, I'm running Jace to Mind Sculptor. And I, for whatever reason, I'm not registering the fact that this is an uber-powerful card, and they just keep snagging it all the time. I mean, yep. it's going to inadvertently warp the, the, the entire game, even the sub-game of drafting cards. I'm telling my, my if, if I show up and someone says, hey, would you like to draft my cube? And I say yes, and that card is there. I'm going to tell them, certainly after the draft, and say, hey, I'm going to pick that card, and I'm going to come pick it every single time I draft. And we, we've done this with a good friend of ours that has a, we'll talk about this in a future episode, where he has a mono-colored cube, mono-white. And I drafted mono-white Planeswalkers, and I 3-0'd multiple times. It wasn't, and I, I did I did bring to the surface that I think this is a problem. We talked it out, and it, it tweaked and tuned from there, but... There's no reason for me to let Gideons go around the table. I drafted Gideons and Elspeths, and they're very powerful, and then just combine them with a couple of Wraths, and I'm in business, right? And it it was definitely in the cube, intended to be in the cube. I just happened to really put on my spike brain for whatever reason this particular night, and that's what I gravitated I've toward. drafted that cube, and I will confidently say that I did not get past a single planes. I grabbed them all. And I'm sure you grabbed all of them, and I'm sad because I would have loved to yeah. take every single one of them that came my way. Yeah, and then, so, and then another one is the, I put in the notes, I put color preferences based on power level. So, like, there can be a skew on, like, you have to figure out if you want to give too much of a pie, too much power, like maybe blue has some iteration of a Jace that's, it may not seem as strong, but it's really warping the environment, but maybe you didn't give the green section, the option to even have that. So I, I really believe in kind of trying to not only balancing the environment, but balancing the level of planeswalkers, which I did in my La Femme Fatale ish. I do have some, some things I've done in there. I, I do have Chandra torture deviance, sure. which probably is too strong. I acknowledge that. Let's draft it and find out. I, I'm certain that it's too strong. <laughs> I don't know why it's in there, but because there wasn't a red planeswalker that represented that particular thematic thing that I wanted to put in there in the color red. As a really, super friend, I think that Chandra it, it, torture deviance it's, is, it's is probably too much. It's probably too much. Chandra's up there. I'll, get, I'll, I'll check it. And then that kind of summarizes kind of the the pros and cons. But when it came to my back to the question, the core question is, is it right for your environment? Let's talk about my artifact cube. Artifact cube, I don't run any planeswalkers. And people have oftentimes asked me, Anthony, why do you not run planeswalkers in your artifact cube? Well, because it's it goes back to that skew. The ones that are super uber powerful that do the most effects typically are in red, blue, or colorless. And that'll be an example. It'll be like Jaredi. 
any Duretti for that or matter. Or green. Or any. What about Oco? But green will be an anti, and Oco's not thematic with a ish. It's ish. It's it, it makes food? a food, but that's a real stretch. I'm not going to do it. Really? Yeah, I'm not 100. Current creates colorless constructs. I the construct. The construct. It, it's because. It, in my mind, it's such a high pick, if, especially Karn. Karn Cyanoverza for four colors is a high pick. Karn, high pick. You, would you do you have Khan in your in your cube? Yeah, powered vintage. Do you have Khan in your artifact cube? Absolutely not. I run no planeswalkers in there. Okay, because if, they skew the choices for the players inadvertently. I agree. So let's. But so this is this might be a little bit of an unplanned discussion, but let's let's roll with it. Khan is not in your cube. Which I fully understand. Do you know why I wouldn't put Khan in your cube? Why There's might one be? reason why I wouldn't put Khan why? in your cube. Because it's colorless. N- only reason. It's so open. Too it's open. way too open. And again, that skews the draft choices. Way too open. It doesn't even... You're never not going to choose a card that you can literally just pay four mana and then just spit out twice artifacts, construct tokens that can be absolutely gigantic. Oko, on the other hand... Is two colors, two colors, right? Yeah, it's green and blue. It feeds the machine, but doesn't. It warps the game, but less warping than even a Karn. Let's talk about a case study. I run, I run a Goblin Welder. Goblin Welder is a safe choice compared to what I'm about to do next. Duretti the Scrap Servant, and for three colorless and one mountain, you get a legendary Planeswalker Duretti, and for three loyalty enters the battlefield. It's plus two, very powerful. Discard up to two cards, then draw that many cards. Nice. Powerful looting Agreed. effect. Minus two, sacrifice an artifact. If you do, return target artifact card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Pretty strong. Goblin welder-ish, but one-sided. <laughs> I get it. Not very, quite very goblin, strong. but very powerful when you've done this exchange rate, right? You've, Absolutely. You've originally dumped them, now you're feeding them in there. It, it is so uber-powerful. And then the emblem, I'm not even going to bother with it. None of that matters. It could be your commander. None of that sure. matters. It's that broken goblin welder looting there's no reason why you would ever choose goblin welder not really versus a duretti that's really? why it choose- welder costs one mana but it comes into play it's got summoning sickness i get just follow okay. my flow here so duretti, got, I, duretti, got it available on turn two. Oh, sure sure goblin welder is uber powerful no arguments there whatsoever yeah but duretti it just creates like this uh, emotional response that maybe it's going to make choices be taken away inadvertently from your drafters because there's no reason in a artifact cube environment you wouldn't get the word Duretti, Tezzeret, or Karn Sion of Urza. Goblin Boulder instant speed. You know that, right? I, I do, but... I'm like going to keep throwing f- these reasons f- why Goblin Boulder is in another universe it's, it's, compared it's to the disgusting card. You got zero argument. But please check out, again, as we've mentioned, show please notes. check out the show notes. Doretti, Scrap Savant, three colors, one red, plus two, discard two, draw up to that many, or draw that many, minus two, sack an artifact, and then return target artifact card from a graveyard to the battlefield, minus 10. Whenever an artifact is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, return that card to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. Um, yeah, Goblin Welder absolutely is ridiculously powerful, vintage level powerful. I don't know if I want to put that on the same plane as, as a super friend like Doretto. Comparatively speaking, um, the po- the point is is that there's not not always a necessity to run these, a hundred percent. But sometimes you might you might want to run them for different reasons, and it may be for power maxing, it may be for utilitarian. 
it's a decision. Do I want to finish with this card? Do I want to control the game? Or do I want to add some added benefit like we talked about with the two-headed giant? I can see it for a graveyard. Like, I want to get things from the graveyard onto the battlefield. Sure. Kind of thematic cube. It'd be pretty cool. I'd run both of those. It's choices. It's, it's always choices of the curator. And you have to ask yourself, is this healthy? Is this right for my environment? And, and the biggest question, sure. this is my personal, is it fun the most subjective idea I've ever said, but it is a consideration when you're making these choices. Not only fun, but are you going? Are your players going to have fun? Is it going to create an experience that is so positive or game warping that it could make people not want to sit down at the table again or make them want to come back? Right? Okay. You're so, literally selling an attraction, okay. right? Come play my cube. Understood. So when you are designing, creating your cubes, who are you designing and curating them for? My players. Right. So that is your play group? That is. But I, I've gotten, I've expanded that horizon, truthfully. My ideas, because you're, of not only, you're, you're not, only the pod, not only the podcast, but because the growing people... Like I think May said this at one point, more viewership, more people are, you know, critiquing my cubes. I'm being held to a standard that may or may not be present. At least I'm I'm taking this as internal I decision would hope making. That, you are. that I am that I am really making decisions that I think are beneficial to the community as a whole. I would hope that you are. Yeah. I would it, hope that you are, especially now that you are a curator of multiple cubes. You yeah. are also doing a podcast right we're right. sitting here recording this and we are hoping to give good advice and promote the format right so you want to be responsible right i think that's is so that, i'm evaluating i'm evaluating cards on that level exactly like, like not only am i thinking uh well it's you know chris and Stu and uh anybody that sits down and play my cube are they gonna have a great time but also thinking when i go to cubecon in 2023 are people gonna have fun and and exactly. get the and get whatever their definition of fun, whether they're Spike or Tammy or whatever that might be, whatever they're going to pull from it. I'm thinking about this at a multi tier level on a huge spectrum that I never have. Before. And that's incredible, right? And and again, makes to, my brain hurt sometimes. Yeah, and you know we've we've always we've recorded this as a you know Anthony definitely more of the curator and myself like I'm I I'm building two cubes at the moment. I won't. Shed anymore. One's a cowboy cube. He's going to pretend like it's not happening. But um, I, I definitely, as a, you know, enjoying playing them, right? Those kind of aspects of the design are so important. They're so critical to the fun aspects, right? That is what this format is about, right? It has to be about fun. Sure, I like to win. Sure, I like to draft a very, very powerful deck. But the, the, the job and sort of the responsibility of the curator is not just to create power. It's to create fun. It's to create balance. It's to create an environment that makes the drafters want to come back. It's a little, not to be egotistical. That's not my, but it's a little, be se- egotistical. but it's a little selfless. The opposite of egotistical. It's a little bit like I'm making a game. I want others to gain enjoyment from said game, right? Yes. I want my players to have fun. Even just when we drafted uh, Chris Moore's Peasant Cube last night, his mantra the whole time is, I don't care if I lost, did you have fun? That's an attitude. That's a way of thinking. That's how you think, right? Did you have fun playing this game? Do you yep. want to play it again? Yep. Right? It's it's game-changing to think that way. Um, so that, that kind of ties off the Super Friends. So one more time. Last time, Super Friends, it is... Dropping Planeswalkers, controlling the field, doing either some kind of control, game-changing effect, and or utilitarian effect. Managing 
all aspects of the game to include wraths and spot removals and hand stripping, whatever you got to do to stymie OP from not taking out the planeswalkers and or distracting just, distracting and them, distracting them, giving pop uh, and giving, smoke, pop giving, and smoke, giving yourself a powerful but generally not game changing. Uh, you know, ability, not right when they land to that. And I cannot emphasize that enough. Anthony, you keep talking about it and I, I want to keep emphasizing it. The psychological effect of the planeswalker. It's so powerful. Certainly in a 1v1 environment where that, that opponent is thinking, I don't want to deal with that anymore. So kind of in summary, right? Planeswalkers can be really fun, but you, you got to make a lot of consideration. So one of them is, evaluating is it right for your cube how many do you need there's no perfect number we, we said five to seven percent <laughs> that 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 is a ever-changing value it's a sliding it's sure. a sliding scale there's yeah. no there's no rubric to make you solve this equation no. right um considerations when you're evaluating them is the mana value the loyalty count the ability to protect itself the relevance of the abilities to the environment and or archetypes right does it skew the draft is that a card or cards depending on how many you have in your cube are those cards going to be i am going to pick those up i am going to skew my draft regardless of what i've got previously i absolutely must pick those cards up because i know without a question that those are the most powerful cards in the cube Correct. And then power outliers like Oko and Jace and, and Chandra of Deviance and, and Three Fair. We've talked about these are, these are <laughs> powerful cards. They're, they're yes. strong. But it, 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 they, they may scale. They may have a paradigm shift based on the... I mean, it is possible that but they, they get, might be too powerful. But they might be. They but might maybe be. you can handle it. And then when it's a planeswalker, too powerful is too powerful is always a question you ask yourself. Like, and maybe it's not even something you ask yourself. You ask your players. Hey, what was your experience with this version of Duretti? What do you think about? Did th- did this warp my artifact cube? If I'm running it, yes or no? And honest, that, honest opinion. And maybe that's a great point. Like, maybe that's the one card type right that yeah. you maybe need to get the most feedback from when it comes to the draft and your players right if the planeswalkers were drafted which I, I would assume they would because typically for myself outside of vintage cube which typically i tend to let, look less at the planeswalkers but in most other environments i'm looking at the planeswalkers as a pretty high priority pick right ask your players how much impact did you think that Planeswalker had? Did you draft a Planeswalker and it was just an all-star? Did you draft a Planeswalker and you felt that eh, maybe it wasn't just the right for the archetype that I drafted? Or was it that you drafted it and thought, man, I even tried to draft around it and it kind of didn't, didn't fit the archetype that I was trying to draft or the power level that I was trying to draft at or whatever the case may be. I feel like that is the one card type that maybe is, is going to benefit from the most amount of feedback from your players. And then ask your question... To the players, were you hiding behind this planeswalker? What was your intent, right? Did you play this as an active fog? Wrong you, with that? Did you do this as a game distraction? I don't think there's were anything you pop- necessarily wrong with holding. Is, is there's nothing wrong. Were you popping smoke to get me to look to miss your alternative motives of what you're trying to do with gameplay? Maybe if you're willing to volunteer that, it's a good question. It's Not a necessarily fun- a bad thing either. Like the planeswalkers. You know, those super friends, they are super, they are friends, they sit beside me on the plane, right? They are there for a good reason. And they are typically costed at a point where 
you know, they they need to be something that's dealt with by my opponent. I don't want them to just sit there and, okay, they've had one effect and now, you know, my opponent doesn't care about them. Then I might as well have just casted an instant, which was typically a little cheaper for the initial effect that I got, right? So I want them to have an effect after just the plus one or the minus one. So again, that sort of ties into, you know, the, the you know, consideration of it being on the field, the, the, the effect that it has when it first enters. And then the quantity of planeswalkers is something we emphasize. There's Very no ma- there's no magic number here, but when I ran, apparently I, there is it's five to seven percent or eight percent ish. <laughs> it, 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 it's varying number, right? It's just you have to decide if you tilt the scales too much on the is the gameplay still moving forward? Are the armies sure. marching? Are people diverting their resources to deal with this on a consistent level, right? And then you have to ask yourself, is it appropriate at all for my environment, right? I like that. When is it exp- appropriate at all? Should when, you include them? When should I all? include them? In the case of Artifact Cube, didn't feel as appropriate, didn't feel like it gave a additive benefit to my environment. And then one more thing before we move on, and this is a close. I want to give a shout out to my boy, Tybalt the Fiend-Blooded. Poor little guy. I, this could have been the greatest planeswalker of all time. But it's not. <laughs> but it can be. But I want to hear. I, I do truly want to hear. Is there a cube environment where somebody's running Tybalt and you've somehow found a way, somehow made it amazing? I, I'm dying to know. And I want to. Is there an amazing experience with this I'll, card? Let's hear. I want to hear a couple of things. Number one, the all stars in your cube. Right, and not necessarily the vintage cube. In fact, I don't really care about the. Vintage don't care cube. about the vintage cube at all. I want to hear weird. about your all stars in your thematic cubes. Right, hit us up on the twitters. Right, I want to hear your all star planeswalkers that don't skew the environment, that create a fun experience. You know, tell us the planeswalker. Tell us the vibe. Tell right? us the theme of the of the of the cube. Right. Tell us what's an all-star for you, right? Because those are so... I think that's incredible for not just us, but for other cube curators to hear, right? What are the all-star all-star super friends that really do add so much to your drafting experience? Yeah, fortune favors the bold, man. I'm not going to yeah. populace. A Johnny Vengeant, that card is busted. Not loved. People think it... Oh, it's not that, I don't that, think it's busted. That card will warp I again. I don't think it's busted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my guns on that one. I do you believe that card, is, that card is fantastic. All right, so we're moving over to the socials. If you love the show, and we would truly, truly appreciate a five-star review on your favorite player. Uh, if you want to support the show, please use our Inked Gaming affiliate where we have all the access to all the things you love and need for your cube environment. That includes play mats, dice bags, mouse pads for your computers, etc. We absolutely, I buy all my play mats, especially, and I have way too many play mats. You do. I do. I, buy, do. I buy them from Ink Gaming. That'll be included in the show notes. Please consider supporting the show by using that link that'll be provided in the show notes and as well as on the Buzzsprout website. In addition, you can find us at Twitter at Ubercube MTG Pod, or you can reach us at Ubercube MTG Podcast at gmail.com, or you can link us on Discord, hashtag Ubercube, Amazing discussions happening there. Great just social network yes. happening. And then if you want to help us, and we would very much appreciate it, we have a Patreon landing page at Ubercube. You can check out with the nice suites. We're looking for your feedback. Other than that, we're going to do the thing that we always do here at Ubercube, and we're going to say, Happy, Happy Cubing! cubing.